hosted by Mike, the Big Cheese.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, November 12th. We survived another week from the canceling policy of Spreaker. So that's two weeks in a row. I guess we figured out a way to work around their uh, rules over here. At least they find out and they cancel us again. But we'll see what happens and we'll play it by ear. But hey, we got a great show for everybody tonight. The professor, Chris Black from High Spirits, I guess. We'll be talking to Chris in about a half hour. So we're going to get a lot of music between now and then. Right there, Wine Tea with Mean Streak. Love that album and that song. Uh, it's good to see Wine Tea active again. Dave Manichetti's been fighting cancer for quite some time now, but they've got a couple of shows coming up, I believe, this month, and then they're heading out on a pretty lengthy tour in 2024. I have to check the schedule. I hope to come to the New York City area. I haven't seen Wine Tea since probably the mid to early 80s live, so it'll be great to catch up. Even though it's only Dave Manichetti in the band today, uh, most of the other members of the band have deceased, or most of them were out of the band before any of that happened anyway, but uh, they were a great band, and Dave really was the heart and soul of that band, so it'd be cool to see them live if they had anywhere into the East Coast area. All right, we're going to keep the music going here tonight for as long as we can before our next guest calls in. How about we do some Hell's Dagger, Metal Rebels.
Pretty Mage with Shelly the Maiden right before that. Sacred Warrior with Master's Command. A lot of those Sacred Warrior songs, for some reason, sort of remind me of like early Queensryche. You know, uh, it's just got that vibe to it. The singer sounds a little bit like Jeff Tate. And with that and the guitar work, it kind of reminds me of Queensryche. But I, I kind of enjoy those guys. And Pretty Mage, you know, back in 1983, being a, what, a 13-year-old kid that, during that summer, right before my 14th birthday, having a part-time job, delivering newspapers. I think I might have been working in the bakery back then. Didn't make a lot of money, maybe $10 a week delivering newspapers. After you got tipped by a few people, maybe a quarter back then, 50 cents. Didn't come out to much money. And I used to go to the record store on a weekly basis. But, you know, I, I had maybe once a month I bought all my records. I would save up the money each week and go and buy something. And I remember going in there, I wanted to get the Queensryche EP because I remember having the demo tape and, uh, and some of the stuff from Myth, and I wanted to go get it. And every time I went in there to go get it, I saw another album put up on the wall that I wanted more than that. You know, uh, Slayer Show No Mercy was out around that time, and that album cover just kicked the shit out of the Queensryche logo. <laughs> so I said, I gotta get the Slayer one, you know, so I, I went and got that. And the same thing happened with the Pretty Maids EP when that came out. I walked in there, I had just gotten the Pretty Maids demo, the second demo, Heavy Metal, uh, maybe a, a month or two before the album actually was released. Uh, at, least, at least when we got it here in the U.S. It was probably out much before that back then. Who the hell knew without the internet to find out what was going on in the world. But by the time they had it in there, I walked in. I said, all right, Tay, I'm going to get the Queensryche finally. After like passing it up for two other albums that came out. And I walked in there and I saw the EP of this girl straddling the guitar with her, with her stockings on. I says, I, know, I just got the demo tone. It's really good. I got to go buy this. So Queensryche got put off for like another couple of weeks. But I remember picking up that album and falling in love with Pretty Maids. And when I look back at them now, I kind of equate it to the same as Def Leppard. Those first two or three Def Leppard albums were fantastic. I loved them all. Then they just really went commercial in AOR. And the same thing kind of happened with Pretty Maids. The EP came out in 83. That was great. Red Hot and Heavy. You sort of saw the writing on the wall, but it was still a good record. Future Real was a continuation of that, but a little bit more polished. And then by the time Jump the Gun and Lethal Heroes came out a few years after that, I think it was around 80, actually it was like around 1990. There were some big gaps between those records. Uh, they had gone completely commercial, and, and I kind of lost it for them, you know. I bought all their records over the years, you know, because I was a fan of the band, but it was never the same. And the last record that came out on Dresden Man, it really was like a culmination of everything that they've done over those last 20 years. Uh, but then the band kind of went silent. I know Ronnie Atkins has been battling like stage four cancer for like many years now. And then after that record came out, COVID hit a year later, so nobody was playing anywhere. So I thought between COVID and him having cancer, that's why Pretty Major pretty much inactive. But Ronnie did release, I think, one or two studio records, I mean, solo records during that time. But they just announced this week that uh, Pretty Major is going to get active again in 2024. And the problem was that, you know, uh, Ken Ham and Ronnie Atkins had a fallen out. They weren't talking. It had nothing to do with COVID, which I mean, would have slowed them down anyway for a year or two, but the two of them just weren't talking and getting along, so I guess they're trying to patch things up. It'd be nice to see them get out there one more time. It'd be even better if they went out there and did a set of classic songs from those first three or four records. That would be amazing if they could make that happen. We'll see. I'm sure they'll get booked on quite a few festivals if they did that. And we'll get to talking about the festivals later on in the show. Uh, <laughs> I something sticking in my craw this week about a lot of those festivals coming up. But we'll get to that in a little while. But let's keep the music flowing right here. They was pretty made. Let me see. What can we do right now? I know Christian sent me his request. I'll get that on in a little bit. Uh, how about we do a little, uh, you know, let's do some Manowar.
for the haircut And the bullets come free My Uncle Sam sent a letter said Got a mission for me
Christian wanted to hear Lust. There you go. There were about 50,000 bands named Lust in the 80s. That was the one from France. That's a really long song, clocking at a close to 10 minutes. All right, we're going to talk to the professor, Chris Black, in a few minutes. You know, all the festivals are starting to announce their lineups for next year. And uh, one of the members of a band, I don't remember which one it was, was commented on like how, you know, the festival takes place this weekend, say, and the next day they're already announcing the entire lineup pretty much for the next year's festival. And they were saying, how can any other band possibly get on the bill when, you know, the next festival is booked up and, you know, we have a new record coming out we want to promote and we can't even get on there. And he is right about that, too. I mean... And when you think about like like Keep It True, which is like probably the, the main festival for most of the underground uh, people, I mean, after a while, it's just starting to get redundant. It's the same bands year after year after year. And you could try to mix them up all you want, but there are only so many bands out there. Maybe Keep It True doing two festivals a year, a couple months apart, is doing more damage than good because it's just a constant repetition of the same bands. And, you know, now what happens is you start getting bands and they aren't really bands anymore or they're just one-member one bands. You know, this is something I bitch about all the time. But, like, you have Keep It True coming up this year in April. Heavy Load is on the bill. That, you couldn't get any better than that. You know, they haven't been active in, like, three or four decades. And they're playing behind their new record. So that's a really cool thing. They got Gravedigger to edit, which I saw Gravedigger a couple of times in my life. And I always liked them live. And Chris is a great singer and a really cool guy. Uh, but now they added Liege Lord. Liege Lord is just Tony, the guitar player. Matt, the bass player, just passed away a few months ago. There's no other original members of that band, but, you know, the label has a tribute to Matt Vincent, bass player, that passed away. So they'll probably have special guests coming and playing, but to me, there were other bands out there that could have had that spot that are full-time active bands, some bands from the 80s with a lot of original members, you know, a, lot, a, a core, core set of the original lineup that could have took that spot. They have I Am Morbid on the bill. I Am Morbid, when did, you know... Keep It True stuff features like, you know, death metal type of bands. I Am Morbid. I mean, you got Morbid Angel out there playing with Trey. You got you got Vince's version, you know, with I Am Morbid. You know, it's just stupid in my opinion. There's not a lot of bands on this lineup that really would interest me if I had to go there. I know it's going to be packed. The tickets will probably be sold out. But there's nothing spectacular about this lineup in my opinion. You do have Stormwitch on there with, I think, three quarters of the original lineup. So that's a pretty cool thing. Vengeance is on there. But I'm not even sure who's in Vengeance anymore, to be honest with you. You have Attacker headlining the warm-up show. Attacker should have been on one of the main nights you're playing. I mean, they're better than most of the bands on there, in my opinion. And Keep It True, you know, Rising... A lot of the same repetitions over there. They, we were talking about Warlord and the Checkers. I had said early in the year when Warlord announced they were getting back together again to play shows in tribute of Bill, uh, that they would be booked on every single festival, but it hasn't happened so far. They were supposed to make an announcement about upcoming shows. It didn't happen, but they will be on a lot of festivals. They'll be later, added on later or something will happen. And, you know, Sarah Fungal already got a lock on every single festival. Every festival next year has Sarah headlining it because it's their final year, which I get, but it was only a year ago that they played every festival, so, you know, when does it end? When do we start, like, looking up new bands? I mean, there are a lot of bands from the 80s that are still around that haven't played these festivals in maybe 10 or 15 years, bands that haven't played at all. Let's just get some of these bands an opportunity to get in this bill. Stop repeating the same bands over and over again. And here's an idea. Maybe all these festival promoters should get together at the beginning of the year and say, hey, let's try to make it so we don't all have the same bands on the bill. That way we could draw fans from each, you know, country to go to these shows and everything like that, you know? Maybe if Up the Hammer spoke would keep it true and Keep It True talked with Legions of Metal or Blades of Steel. They could work something out where they didn't constantly repeat the same bands from festival to festival. 
Just a little, you know, just my opinion, but <laughs> that's how I feel about that. All right, we got to get the high spirits. I got a brand new record out. Chris Black always delivers. Safe on the other side. It's out right now. Uh, let's play a track off the new record. How about we do, let me see what we can dig up here first. We'll do Till the End of Time. We'll talk to Chris, play another track, and then get back to the rest of the show. Here you go. <laughs>
Good, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to have you on. I appreciate you calling in. Hey, uh, pleasure's all mine. I think, what's, is, this, is this three times now? I know it's at least two. Yeah, I think the last three records we had, <laughs> we, we spoke to each other. Awesome, awesome. And, I, and I'm glad that you're back with another record, you know, safe on the other side. I mean, High Spirits, Chris Black, I should say, you deliver every single time. Never disappoint. Oh, well, thanks. Always know what you're going to get, but yet you never know what you're going to get. It's like a mixed bag. Oh, well, it's, uh, I guess I can uh, can be thankful for that. I can keep you on your toes a little bit, <laughs> but I don't want to throw you, I don't want to throw you something you can't hit, you know? I hear that. Well, you know what's amazing is that you have bands like ACDC and Thin Lizzy. I mean, Angus Young ran around with the, with the schoolboy outfit on, but they were like five guys that just wore street clothes and just let the music do the talking. And I think that, you know, High Spirits is the same way. Uh, there's no pomp and circumstance. There's no imagery. There's no denim and leather, long hair, this and that. The music does all the talking for you, and that's kind of impressive that you don't have to put on this whole big show and create drama and controversy and come up with crazy album covers just to let people know that you guys are really good. And that's a good thing, I mean. Well, I appreciate hearing that because that's been very much uh, the way that we have, uh, I guess, the way that we've chosen to play the game, you could say. Um, we want to uh, we want to use the music and the lyrics um, in a way that, uh, that that that's you know that that, that, that we're leading with uh, with those things, just with just with the songs. We want the songs to do the work of grabbing people, of pulling them close, and and of keeping them keeping them with us, uh, hopefully for the long haul. Just like you said, Mike, it's not uh, it's not an image band. We don't have a big line of merchandise or you know uh, all these different tie-ins and t-shirt bundles that other bands do um you know more power to them if that's the way uh if that's the way it works for another band then great you know i wish them all the best but for us like i said kind of by design right from the beginning my concept my motivation if you want to say was to just do it with music and lyrics period you know um and there are i have to say there are some drawbacks uh to doing that again coming back to the merchandise when it's time for us to come up with a t-shirt design oh man that can be a real <laughs> challenge that can be a real challenge because you know it, 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 if we're a death metal band you know it's like you know you just get a get a cool drawing of of Satan or some zombies or something, you know, slap your logo on that and you got a t-shirt that you probably sell a few hundred of. And again, that's how a lot of bands roll. That's how a lot of bands do uh, do their thing and it works for them. We're not that kind of band. You know, we're almost the, uh, like you said, the no image or the, the anti-image band. So, you know, we've, we've got the, we've got a plain red shirt with the black high spirits logo and we've got a plain black shirt with the another night, uh, uh, album cover on it, and um, <laughs> every time we try to extend beyond that, it's like, geez, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what else there is. What else can we do? Uh, you can't put, you can't put a song on a T-shirt. You know what I mean? And and that's what we're, uh, that's what our currency is, is the song. Um, so it's 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 great to hear you kind of kind of reflect that back, and that's 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 exactly what we're going for here. Yeah, you know, I never thought about that with the merchandise before. You must be like a marketing person's nightmare because I can't, I can't figure out how to market you guys. You know, sell merchandise like that. But you know, the fans, the fans love you. I'm sure, but the fans love you guys. And if I remember when the band kind of got started, 
uh, it really wasn't meant to be a band. You were just writing music and looking to put it out there, and maybe that's where it, where it all stemmed from, that it, it really wasn't a band, I guess, in the very beginning, like a, like a live playing band, I should say. That's exactly that's exactly right, Mike. And it was uh, it, it was almost an accident that it even happened to to, to that degree. You know, I had kind of uh, found some inspiration to to maybe do a little writing on the side uh, of of what other things I was doing musically at the time, and came up with these demos. Um, the first two songs, well, the first song was Torture, I believe. The second song was called Night After Night. Uh, I may be wrong on that. It may have been Wings of Fire before Night After Night. But in any case, I had these very these demos, which were very basic, but which I figured, you know what? These, turn, these are turning out kind of cool. Let's pick them up online. It was MySpace was the main platform at the time. Yeah. This was 2000, early 2009. MySpace was the main platform. So what I did, I created a page with just a little High Spirits logo. No information, nothing but the logo. And again, the music and the lyrics us the songs and that was what kind of went out into the world and started to to get some attention and you're exactly right that i think it was let's say that was in february and then we played live in august of that same year so it was six months seven months um later that it was kind of like oh well maybe maybe this isn't just an imaginary band. Maybe there's a little more to this than uh, just a MySpace page with uh, with some songs. But uh, but you're right, that was not the plan. And when we got when we got invited to play live, um, I was like, well, I, at first I said no because you know it's not a band. It's just me with my computer and and my guitar. Kind of uh, I don't want to say fooling around because it was serious at the same time. But you know it was it was, it was uh, very basic, uh, very basic design, basic concept. So at first I said, no, I don't know. I don't know how we would even do this live or who, who, how to define we for the purpose of playing live. But um, long story short, uh, the, the, the concert promoter who uh, was actually two guys uh, putting on a particular show in Chicago, uh, I don't want to say they wouldn't take no for an answer, but they, they kept asking until I said yes. And uh, at that point, uh, I had kind of roped in a few friends of mine, say, hey, you guys want to learn some songs to get this a shot? And uh, that's uh, kind of how it all got rolling uh, as a live band for us. That's fantastic. When you said, just, you know, I was doing a little writing on the side, I would think that you were, you're writing all the time because if you look at your output, I mean, Super Christ, Professor Black, High Spirits, Dawnbringer, Acta, and all the other bands that you work with, you know, record with and play with, I, I think that's all you do 24 hours a day is write music and record. It's such an amazing output of music. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it would be nice. I've uh, I, I've gotten a little slower as I've gotten older. I think that happens. <laughs> uh, I think that happens to all of us, and kind of also, um, you, you know, I can't deny it. High Spirits has has uh, taken off or took off and and led me to places. Um, that some certain other groups haven't haven't had the opportunity to go. So uh, it's very natural that as a result of that becomes more uh, more of a priority, something I then invest more of my time and effort uh, into. And I think if I'm to go back in time, back to 2009 when High Spirits began, I think at that time I was very focused on Super Christ as kind of my main priority. Um, yeah, Dawnbringer was doing a little bit around then, not much. 
Sparrow was always very much a studio thing from beginning to end. That was never really a live band. That was more of like a like a songwriting and, and studio production outlet for, uh, for, uh, for for me and for all of those those band members. So it was really Super Christ that was the priority at the time. And High Spirits was kind of like kind of like a side path to that. If, if, if High Spirits formed in parallel to any other group or any other outlet, that, that would definitely be Super Christ. Um, and for a long time, they, they did exist in parallel. I think Super Christ lasted another four, yeah, four years from there. Super Christ continued to 2013. Um, so yeah, that was, a, that was definitely a time in my life when there was a lot going on. Um, there was always... There was always something, I was always in the process of doing one thing and preparing for the next thing and usually recovering from whatever the thing was that I had just finished doing kind of all at the same time. But that's, uh, again, that's me in my 30s. And as, as I've gotten older and um, gained more of a family, uh, you know, it's all the cliches uh, that, that kind of turn out to be true. You get older, you, you buy a house, you have kids, um, your, your kind of career... Uh, in my case, you know, my creative profession gets a little more defined. Um, the priorities kind of define themselves a little more. So, yes, as I've gotten older, I've gotten slower. Um, and also high spirits has, has become more of a natural priority, um, let's say, for me in the meantime. But, um, but yes, yes, I mean, things are good. I still have, I still have more ideas musically than I really have time to kind of manifest. You know, I have this whole kind of like imaginary catalog of bands and projects and, and, and songs that, uh, you know, sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes that bothers me. Um, you know, going back maybe 10 years in my life, that bothered me a lot that I was always kind of struggling to kind of find the time to do all these things that I wanted to do. Um, you know, for for as as much as my output was during that time, I still felt like it should have been more. I, I was really kind of on my ass about, you know, like, why why aren't you finishing this and all these other ideas and all these loose ends and kind of loose threads um, um, kind of in my, my creative creative world. And I've learned since then definitely to be more patient with myself uh, in that regard, kinder to myself. It's like, look, you don't, you're not going to have time to finish everything. That's just not the way this works. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to have to pick and choose and prioritize, and you're going to have to learn to be okay with that. And um, that's, that's, that's an area where I feel like I said that I've, I've done some work and I've, I've definitely got a better um, attitude towards that uh, nowadays. Sure. I guess that's one of the demons of being so creative is that there's so much going on and you know there's never enough time. Especially because you know mm-hmm. when you think about it, you're like a one man band. You write all the music, you record everything, you play all the instruments. You know, it's a hard thing to do. But in the same sense, you know, sometimes you say like you know you're in a band with three, four, five other guys and everybody kind of splits the load, contributes things, and they think people tend to think there's this great camaraderie all the time to all the band members where they go into a studio and, and it's brilliant coming up with songs and throwing things back and forth and. Maybe every now and then it's like that, but when you're the guy guiding the ship, writing the music, writing the lyrics, controlling the destination of all the music, it may be a lot on you, but in the end, isn't it better because you know the consistency of what you're looking to accomplish is always going to be there? For this band, yes. I don't know how, uh, honestly how it works with other bands. Other bands, 
that, that we've gotten to know and that we've been around, um, it tends to be true. I'm not saying it's universally true, but I, I think it tends to be true that there's a clear leader or there's a clear two people um, who are the leader, whether that means creatively or with booking the shows or um, designing the album covers and the merchandise or driving the van. Um, that's often the same one or two people who that kind of, they're like the, the human clearinghouse for all of those hats, right? And with the songwriting and, and, and that whole um, aspect of high spirits, I don't know, I don't know if it would be, you know, it's certainly possible that it would be better if it wasn't just me um, trying to take it on and, and, and do it all myself. I don't know if it would be better or if it would be worse. What I do know is that it would definitely be different, right? To change that process, the outcome is going to be different. It's not going to be the same. And I think at this point, after almost 15 years of doing it one particular way, it's too late really to kind of, you know, we don't want to we don't want to take the machine apart and try to put it back together in some in some better way, um, and then be like, oh, hey, where'd that piece go? Oh, we're, we're, <laughs> you know, and, and and not be able to, to pull that off. So I think I think with this band, I can answer by saying um, it, it's too late to do it any other way. You know, I don't want to I don't want to have to like relearn everything that we've al already learned. Um, some of which we've learned the hard way and some of which we've been lucky not to have to learn the hard way. Um, but in any case, I think it's, I think it's too late to, to change our process, um, whether in the studio or at the last band. I don't think you should. Whatever you're doing is working. When you go to form a band like the live band now, you know, we're getting offers. We're going to go out and put a band together. We're going to play live. How do you explain to four other guys, like, you know, we're a band, but we're not really a band. You're going to play live with me, but I do all the recording, all the writing. I mean, like a studio musician is used to that. They go in, they they bang out their tracks, they play it, they have to play it, they move on. They don't get credit for, like, the biggest songs that come out in the world, even though they play guitar or bass art. But that's part of the job. They know it. They expect it. Is it hard to convince four other guys to go up on stage and play these great songs and be a part of this band? But behind the scenes, I'm the guy who's going to write all the music. How does that work? Um, that's a question that could be better better answered by by those guys. But I can try to answer for them and say, um, in a lot of ways, they actually like that. Um, they like that their job is 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 kind of simplified to the point where. They just have to do their homework, show up in Chicago knowing the songs, forward and backward, up and down, and then we get on a plane and go play to 2,000 people in Germany, for example. Um, you know, I think it's, I think I can fairly guess and say that, that they would say, like, that that's actually pretty awesome, um, that they get to do the fun part. You know what I mean? They get to do they, – they, they kind of get the – get to share in the, the payoff, get to share in the reward of the work that the albums do, of going out there, spreading the name, uh, getting people excited about the music and excited to see the live band. And then, like I said, they show up, we hop in the band, and we go we go kind of get that reward as a group together. And I think if you've seen the band live, um, you've seen that it's very much a group effort on stage. It's not me. It's not me standing in the middle under the spotlight and four, four guys, you know, behind me in the shadows. Um, it's quite the opposite. I mean, we're all, we're all up there. We're all up front. We're all, um, 
you know, working our asses off, honestly, uh, delivering a show that has the the excitement that the audience is showing back to us, because that's where that that's where that that magical connection really is. Is when the you know the band on stage and the audience watching them are kind of participating in that same energy and participating in creating that same entity. Um, so live high spirits is very much a group it's very much a five piece and doing equal work um and getting paid equally too i would add i mean it's very much a uh, it's very much a group uh situation <clears throat> when we're out there playing it, it is I, I saw you guys at the defenders of old fest in brooklyn when you guys won that festival wow. oh that was a good one it was quite some years back and that was my first i mean I, I knew all the music but it was the first time seeing you guys live and when you guys came on, the crowd just went ballistic. And oh, there was, was so really much energy on that, that stage. I mean, the energy on that stage, Chris, is unbelievable. And you're right. Everybody feels like an equal partner up on that stage. You would not know that there was one guy who was, you know, writing all the... It was just... A, it was a band. And that's the only way to say yeah. it. And it, it was just an amazing performance. And watching videos on YouTube, every performance is like that with you guys. You bring so much energy and so much vibrancy to every show that you play. It's amazing how the crowd reacts. That's what we do. Um, like I said, it's never been uh, it's never been anything but that. It's never been, uh, you know, even if even if I wanted it to be the other way, like I don't I don't I don't have the ego for that. I don't have the ego to be the guy standing in the spotlight, um, uh, absorbing all the attention. Like I like to I like to get my fair share, sure, but that applies to everybody on stage. And uh, and uh, you know, like I said, it's it's uh, it's always been that way. And it's at the same time, it's never been. I've never made a big deal about the fact that I don't feel like, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I guess, but I don't feel like I've ever, we've never treated it as a selling point that the albums are, are, are made just by me. I mean, that's pretty, been pretty downplayed. Um, I would hope, uh, you know, in the album credits, in the, the publicity that we do, you know, it's always, a, it's always a group photo. It's always, uh, kind of, portrayed as uh, as a band so I don't think again I don't really have the I don't really have the ego that it would take to kind of like be shoving that back in in people's faces I mean I do it's it, 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 uh, yeah, I'm not saying I have no ego at all I mean obviously it's it's kind of a uh, in one way it's like a control freak thing for why I uh, you know like to create the like the music and produce the albums the way I do um, but that's that's very, um, you know, it's kind of like a personal thing. And again, it's also just, it's too late to do it any other way. It's just kind of the, it's the high spirits way at this point. And it's been working, um, you know, in the studio, it's been working live. So it comes back to the cliche of, you know, why would you try to fix something that isn't broken? Absolutely. So of course, you have so many bands going. When it comes to, when it comes time to writing, is there like a main folder that all the songs will go into, and then you say, this is a High Spirit song, this is a Don't Bring a song, this is this would fit with something else, or do you specifically write for each band and each project as, you know, you're ready to record with them? It used to be, it used to work more like the second way, where I would kind of say, okay, now I'm going to, now I'm going to write for this band, now I'm going to work on a Don't Bring a song, now I'm going to work on this, that, or the other thing. Uh, lately, which is to say the past five years, give or take, um, yeah, maybe longer than that. Maybe it's been more like 10 years. It's all one pile. If I have an idea, I, you know, I have, a, it must be like a three hour 
Lockdown file that I've had on my computer for 10 years that's just risk after risk after risk after risk. And sometimes I'll put a little marker on them to name them, but sometimes it's just, you know, how the, the waveform looks on the computer. Sometimes it's just a little squiggle. <laughs> you go back two years later, four years later, and I wonder what that little squiggle sounds like. So, oh, that sounds like something I could use for this high spirit album that I'm thinking about working on. And oh, I don't know what the hell that is. I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, so it's more like I was I was trying to explain it to somebody else as like it's like think about it like a vegetable garden, okay? Like I had this I had this, this place where these, these fruits and vegetables, this produce is kind of is kind of growing in the backyard. And then when it's time to cook, when it's time to to, to whip something up in the kitchen, that's when I go out and maybe choose choose what uh, what what exact things I wanna harvest and bring inside and, and make a meal out of it. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a cheesy analogy, maybe, but uh, but it's it's not far off. It's just that the uh, the garden is uh, it's, it's always pretty overgrown, and it can be hard to kind of <laughs> kind of hack through it and find uh, find what I need. But it's it's more often than not, it's in there somewhere. As a musician, I, I mean, I would imagine it's important to play multiple bands or projects because. You know, you have a band like Judas Priest. You know, they had a distinctive sound. They stood with that sound for so long. Then the late 80s came around, and hair metal was big, and they tried to change their sound to kind of fit in what was relevant at the time, and it turned off a lot of fans, and they had to come back an album later. So isn't it better to have different bands or projects where you can express yourself differently than kind of infecting your main band or the one band that people like for a certain sound with a different sound? Yeah, I think so. I think, it, I think, I think there's a lot to be said for that, and I think that you could probably... Trace the beginning of high spirits to that to that kind of thinking. You know, I had I had come up with with maybe some riffs and maybe some lyrical ideas that definitely weren't going to fit in Super Christ. And rather than just kind of toss them aside or you know leave them in the garden, I was like, hey, let's 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 maybe try to make something new, something that's going to go onto its own track and follow its own own path um let's let's do that instead so yeah i think there's uh i think there's a lot to be said for that it really depends on the band though and it can depend on a lot uh it can depend a lot on the expectations of fans the expectations of a record company uh you know the the i think the bigger a band gets the more of that kind of pressure um you're dealing with and luckily that has not um that hasn't really happened uh, to this band, or really to any band that I've been a part of. You know, it's all—it's all kind of played out in a very underground way. Um, but I think when you know when you're talking about Judas Priest and bands at that level, I think there there is a lot of pressure, um, financial pressure. I mean, really, it's of any other kind, right? Um, uh, that, that that may affect affect some of those uh, creative decisions, which may, in the long run, turn out to have been the wrong decision. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, for a band, uh, for a band like this, for, uh, a songwriter like myself, definitely it, it helps to have multiple containers, you know, multiple, um, pathways, uh, for things to take. Sure. You know, if you ask two different people, you know, what do you think of High Spirits? Oh, they're a great rock band. You know, they're a great metal band. People start to like define things in genres a long, very long time ago, but I think it's gotten worse over the years where everybody's been putting these little subcategories now, and it's kind of dividing, which was a big scene into multiple little scenes. I mean, yeah. How do you look at it? how do you look at that? Because you know, you go back to the '70s, Black Sabbath, Kiss, then Lizzie, they were all rock 
completely different from each other, all rock bands. You know, we went from rock to heavy metal to 50,000 different subgenres of, of, the, sure. of, the, of the area. And I think it kind of divides things up because people don't give music a chance when they think it's of a certain genre that they're not into. But yet, it's amazing. They just don't try it. Yeah, it's, and it's too bad because when, when you kind of pull back and look at it, like it, the bands you mentioned, like Kiss, Black Sabbath, and Lizzie, they were musically really different, but they shared an audience to a great extent. Um, they had they had an uh, overlapping audience, and and you're exactly right that all these kinds of you know terminologies and categories being invented they kind of they kind of work against that. They kind of divide the audience in a way um, that maybe isn't necessary. Um, and I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. You know, I can I can speculate that it's that it's a, a media thing or uh, something that record companies like to do. I mean, because it's marketing, right? You know, they you know they want they want you to to identify a band in a certain way so that if you you know have a taste in that particular area, maybe oh here's another record I gotta buy, another band I want to check out. But uh, but I do agree with you that. It, it becomes counterproductive at a certain point because because it, like I said, it divides it divides an audience that it, that maybe doesn't need to be divided. True, you know, Chris. Like we said earlier, you know, you play all these instruments, you can do everything. What was the first one for you? What was the first instrument that you had gotten started with? First instrument? Well, um, I played drums when I was like a toddler. The way kind of every toddler plays drums, right? <laughs> um, but then when I was, that was three or four, um, my parents babysat a piano. Um, so that's, that's the true answer is that piano was, was my first instrument. And my parents had some friends who I think were, they were between apartments or, or <clears throat> in the process of moving from one place to another and they couldn't bring their piano with them right away. So my parents said, well, well, we'll keep the piano at our house until you can take it back. And at that point, I, I showed enough interest in this in this piano that we were babysitting um, that when the friends took it took it back, my parents bought us our own piano and started me on lessons at the time. So I think I want to say I was about four when I started on piano lessons. Um, and that, that lasted a while, and it gave me a lot of uh, good skills um, and good practice. But... As I got to be a teenager, um, drums came back big time, um, and I think even even today I would probably identify drums as my as my best instrument, as my main instrument. Um, now I've gotten pretty good on bass uh, in in recent years. I've never been much of a guitar player. I've tried, but guitar has always been very difficult for me. Um, I, I can, you know, I can get by, but um, but it's very time-consuming. Uh, that's definitely the diff most difficult uh, stage of any recording uh, with high spirits is when it's time to, to lay down the guitar because, man, I am slow. Um, and some of that's being picky, but a lot of it's just because uh, I have poor technique. Um, so short answer uh, is piano would be my first instrument, but in terms of, like, where... Uh, where my heart ended up, um, I think I think the true answer is drums too. Yeah, 
you know, when I was a kid, I played guitar before switching over to bass, and I always wanted to play piano. I was like, oh, if you could play guitar, you could play piano. And I said to the piano, like, I can't play this damn thing. What are people, what are people talking about? No, <laughs> I don't think it's true. I think a lot it's, of the, I think a lot of the mental knowledge applies. Like, you know, F sharp is F sharp, whatever instrument you're playing on, and you know, you learn your, your scales and and your your chord shapes and stuff. I think I think that all transfers between instruments, but I think the physical technique like what you have to do with your hands and your fingers to play piano is so different from what you're doing on a guitar or 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 a string instrument i think that's uh yeah i think that's a very at least for me and sounds like for you too that's a very difficult uh difficult transition I can never do it. I used to look at people like I was like go up and I'm like these people are out of their mind. This is this is completely yeah. different. There's nothing even close to being the same. I used, you know, I'm like there's four strings on the bass. What what are all these keys doing here? Like it's just too right. confusing. I think that's why I I ended up being okay on bass is because it has four strings <laughs> and because and because you can hit it a little harder, right? I mean, like yep. a guitar doesn't a, a guitar doesn't tolerate uh, the same amount of pressure. Um, you know whether with, with, whether on the fretboard or or with the pick, you have to be you have to be really kind of sensitive in a way that's like the complete opposite of drums. I mean, <laughs> so I think with I think with bass, you know, I think of those four strings as like four little drums, and maybe I'm okay then. Yeah, Chris, I'm not gonna keep you. I know you're doing interviews today. I mean, it's a busy day, uh, but safe on the other side. I mean, what an amazing job you did in this record. Just like on all the high spirit records and all your music. Official release day, I think, is November 17th on High Roller Records. I mean, I know you're kind of laying low the rest of the year, getting really towards the end of it, but do you have anything already planned for 2024? You're still working on it. We're working on a few things right now. Nothing's quite ready to announce. Um, we're going to start off with a hometown show. Um, it's going to be kind of a combination album release and 15th anniversary show, I think. We'll do a nice, nice long show. Uh, Nice long set, I should say, and uh, that'll be at the beginning of the year. It's just not quite ready to announce the uh, the details on that yet. And um, beyond that, who knows? Anything can happen, right? We uh, we have a very uh, open mind to uh, to what might be coming next. So um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm I'm just kind of waiting to see on the local show and and a few other things, and we'll just take it from there. That sounds great, Chris. The best of luck with the band, all your bands, and this is an amazing record. We're going to play the hell out of it on this show and promote it for you. Hey, thank you so much, Mike, and thank you for doing what you do for so many years now. I can't believe three times now. I know. Wait, be... The way you put out records and record, we'll be doing this another 25 before you're done. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> all right. Take care, Chris. Have a great night. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Alright, if you haven't picked up the new High Spirits record yet, go ahead and do so. Alright, well, we got about a half hour left in the show. We're going to play a few more songs. We'll probably wrap it up a little earlier tonight. Uh, I don't want to take a chance on uh, having Spreaker cancel the show again and deleting everything because we violated some policy by playing certain music or not. I think I kind of, I've been working around it. I have to go to every, have to go to every single MP3 and, and delete all the, all the properties of them to get them on it. But that also caused me problems because I have to report to the NACC and metal contraband charts and I need the songs listed. That way they could be put up for, you know, on a top 10 list every week. So, uh, so the College Music Journal and the rest of the stations and, uh, and the record labels to get the list, so it's making it more difficult for me, but I don't know what else to do. I canceled the edge, yeah, I don't want to take any chances. I mean, we went almost two years for the set so if I go another two years for it happens again, I guess I'll be fine with that. Who the hell knows? I spent the entire week trying to restart the show on Block Talk Radio, but uh, my numbers are inactive. They gave me a new guest number, which works fine, but my host dialing number has not worked, and I've been trying to reach out to them, and I remember just how bad customer service is over there, because they take forever to get back to when they do, like, okay, we took care of it. Then you log on two minutes later, try to, you know, start up a show, a test show, and it doesn't work still. So, I'm hoping that Monday, I know it was a holiday weekend, hopefully tomorrow somebody will get back to me on that issue, and uh, I might need a new host number or whatever, but once they do it, I think I'm going to go back there. And what I love is that they offered me a 50% discount on the price of the service to come back there. Even with the 50% discount, Spreaker is still half the price of the discounted price. So, I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. I'll keep going on here for as long as I can until they do it again. Then we'll just have to go back to Block Talk Radio, I guess. All right, let's forget about that. But the Rods, they got a brand new record coming out this January, a Massacre Records. They finally got a label that'll help promote them a little bit and get the name out there. Not that you shouldn't know who the Rods are anyway. They've been around for like 40-something years. Uh, you know... I'm going to play the, the title track of the record, Rattle the Cage, in a few minutes. I'm glad that Rock is singing on this record because the last time I had Carl on the show was uh, right in the beginning of COVID, around 2020, I guess. Uh, he was promoting his Kennedy record. And uh, they had just brought in Michael Sincero, who is also the singer in the Kennedy band, uh, Carl's solo band, as the new singer of The Rod. They did a bunch of shows with him and everything. And guys are great singer, don't get me wrong, but Rock, to me, has always been the voice of that band. And this isn't the first time that The Rods have done that. Uh, they put my buddy Sammy in there, Shmuluk Avigal, he came in around 86, 87 uh, to sing with them. And I think there was one other guy they brought in. I think Ricardo was also a part of them uh, at that time. But I think it was more called Kennedy, Feinstein, Bordenera, and Cottle. But they considered it a Rod record, even though I don't think it really was officially a Rod's album. Uh, so I'm glad that Rock is singing on the record again. I'm sure we'll have you the Rock a call on the show uh, in January when the record comes out for promotion. Uh, it's a really good record, man. Absolutely. And there's a video out for Rattle the Cage. So if you haven't seen it, go over to YouTube and check it out. Let's get on some brand new rocks for everybody right now. How does that sound? Or maybe not because I can't find where the song even is. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to skip that one. All right, let me see. You know what? We'll do something else first, and then I'll get the Raj on right after this. How about we do some Tank, Phil Towns of Hades?
Dios.
right action with Fury of the Tempest. Love those guys. Picked up an accent shirt a few months ago from the band. Uh, it's a pretty cool shirt. Before that, Leather Angel with Heart Shaker. Manila Road, Weavers of the Web. We finally got the Raj right on the cage on. You know what it is? After I, have to, I have to delete the property so I don't have any more issues with the songs. But on my switchboard, everything just shows copy. It doesn't show you the name of the song, the artist. So, you know, when you click things, it's just randomly getting anything. But you know, I make a little cheat sheet now so I know in order of what they are so I can just go right to the band to figure it out. But I didn't write the Raj one on there, so I apologize about that. And before that... We started off that set with Tank and the Filth Hounds of Hades. We're going to wrap it up here tonight with one more tune. Uh, I want to thank Chris Black for being on tonight's show. Next Sunday night, Lou Falco from Wicked Mariah. And who else do we have here? Now Ravage from Ravage. So we only got about, I think, four live shows left for the year. Then we're going to do our two holiday specials, which will probably get us canceled again because they're all music. Uh, so we'll find out then. And then we got a week or two off around the holiday time. So... There you go. I assume that Jeremy King has uh, parted ways with the Venom Inc., leaving Tony Dolan as the only member of that band right now. Uh, Mantis is sitting out because his wife is sick and he's uh, supporting her and being by her side. So I don't know who the new drummer is going to be. We'll see. I wish they would have gotten back to the Empire of Evil stuff and kind of left the whole Venom Inc. thing behind them. That was another keep it true boondoggle. If you heard the interview we did with Mantis, you know, he really wasn't crazy about using that name or going out under it, but, you know, uh, Ali from the thing kind of talked him into it and said, we'll do a, a special set, and he went along with it and wound up turning into the name of the new band that they're doing. But I wish they would have kept Empire of Evil, in my opinion. It was some really good music on there. And they also mixed in a couple of the old Venom tracks, too. Some of the stuff from Tony's era and some of the stuff from Mantis's era. So, you know, I guess it is what it is, right? Who knows? And I was reading that Rick Allen is still traumatized and trying to work through the trauma uh, getting shoved when he was here in New York, I think. Somebody shoved him. I don't know if he fell down or just got knocked back a little bit. But Rick, let me tell you, I mean, he's, wasn't this a tough guy drummer like in the 80s when he wanted to fight everybody and everything? If you watch that Def Leppard uh, movie that was on, he was a little tough guy. Now, all of a sudden, he's worried about getting shoved by somebody. You're in New York, buddy. Listen, we'll get shoved 45 times a day going to work and coming home from work. That's just part of living in New York. So, I mean, I, even though this was intentional, I mean, you know, somebody tried to push him. I I don't know. Maybe I want to see if he can balance better with one arm. Who knows? But toughen up, guy. <laughs> this is life. They get real soft and they get rich, don't they? All right. I guess I'll never get soft. <laughs> there you go. All right. So thank you, Chris, for being on tonight's show. We'll see you guys next Sunday. How about we wrap up a bit tonight with some Robin Danger counterattack? Take care, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday night. <laughs>
Mike, I raise my fists to the success of the heavy metal mayhem radio show. You are making metal great again.